Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, as always, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you? I'm positively splendid, Gary. I hope you are well as well. I'm very good, thank you. Anything going on in your life? Nothing major going on in my life, just uh, studying away. I've got my little puppy here on my lap, so life is good. And today we're talking about how exactly we can live a long, fruitful life. And in particular, we're going to focus, although probably on not so much, on supplementation. Okay, so we're focused on supplements. This is still the supplement series. And what we want to discuss, by the time we get to the end of this series, are all of the potential supplements that you'll come across that could be a benefit to your health, performance, or body composition. Well, today, let's, let's, let's be realistic here. We're not going to touch on all the potential supplements. What well, a lot of people got from all of this, all these discussions we've been having is a general kind of thought process or framework so that they can assess supplement claims or whatever, you know, about a specific topic. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about certain specific supplements to really flesh things out. But I would rather people came away with an actual thought process rather than just going, oh, here's this new super duper drug or medication or supplement or whatever. Yes, sir. I agree. And when we talk about longevity, which is what we're talking about today, there are potentially infinite targets of supplementation when talking about longevity. Because effectively what you're talking about is very simply the gross measure of how long one's life is. Okay. So when we talk about longevity, I think it's generally helpful to discuss both lifespan and health span. So lifespan is simply how long your life is. And then health, health span is also concerned with the length of your life, but considers the quality of your life. So we don't simply want to artificially lengthen life by 10 years if it's of no quality. Okay, if the last 10 years of your life are you in a coma, that's not particularly of high value for you or your loved ones. Okay, so what we're focused on is living a long life, but living a life that is great quality as well. And with that said, there are a number of different uh potential uh, targets or questions that people might ask as, re as it relates to longevity and supplements they might take. And those questions might be things like, okay, I, I, you know, what should I take to live longer? Or what should I take to look and feel younger for longer? Because they're different things. You know, you see a lot of um, marketing related to skincare and the aging of one's skin without particularly being too concerned about longevity in and of itself. You know, Which do you want actually stuff like that is actually really interesting because even though we might not like you, you know, me or you, for example, we might be like, that's that's kind of irrelevant. Like, who cares if you have a few wrinkles, like get on with it, we all get older, etc. But there's actually research to suggest that you know, seeing yourself in the mirror, looking young, feeling young as a result of that actually does improve your quality of life, increases the likelihood that you'll continue looking after yourself. Like, no one wants to wake up, look in the mirror, and be like, Oh fuck, I'm past it now. So basically i'm just going to give up so some of these things that people might choose to supplement for or to target or whatever in terms of a longevity context might not necessarily be intuitive straight away like how does that improve longevity or health span or whatever how does that fit into this conversation but very often there's a good rationale behind that now of course there's also vanity etc like all these other things that play into the overall system but it's important to understand that it isn't it isn't always just intuitive in terms of why this would make sense 
Absolutely. And looking and feeling younger is actually something that is of scientific utility as well, because particularly when we look at an organ like the skin, that can actually be a useful thing to assess for studying longevity supplements and medicines, for example. You know, one of them we'll talk about later is uh, rapamycin. And some of the evidence there related to that relates to how does this impact things like oxidative stress and how the skin looks and the aging of the skin? Because it's something you can see, it's something you can easily apply, as opposed to something more invasive, like, I don't know, the aging of the liver. Okay, a little bit more difficult to see what's going on there. So anyway, is it to reverse the aging process? Is that what you're trying to do? Okay, because that's what some people will be interested in. They'll, they'll be thinking like, I want to feel like I'm 25 again, or I want to have a biological age of 25, whatever that means. Is it, increase your, is it to increase your health span? So maybe everyone in your family lives into their 80s, but by the time they get there, they're on maybe long-term oxygen therapy or they've had a stroke and they don't have their full function. Maybe you just want to focus on having solid health span and a great quality of life into those later years. And then finally, is it simply to reduce the likelihood of disease? Is that the goal of longevity supplementation? Because that feeds into all of the above. And that's probably something we'll reinforce quite a bit in this conversation, that supplementing, eating, training for longevity is not about targeting very specific anti-aging or pathways. It's mostly about doing the basics, doing them well, and doing them for a very long time. That is ultimately what contributes most to longevity. Yeah. And like, we could ask a million different questions in terms of like, what's the, what's the goal of this supplement? Like, is it again, like you said, is it to live longer? Is it to look, feel younger, delay or reverse the aging process? Like there's so many things that we could potentially ask in terms of what is this supplement doing? And that's the way you should go into the conversation, especially around longevity supplements, because it is this kind of like, People use the term like medicine 3.0, where it's like, oh, we're not just thinking about treating disease. We're actually thinking about, you know, creating better health, which is what medicine does to a degree either way. Right. Um, but a lot of people market different pathways, supplements, drugs, you know, molecules, whatever, as if they are this like panacea, as if they are fantastic. But you really have to go what exactly is this addressing? Is it actually something that I need to address? Is it something that's actually a limiting factor or is it something that's actually going to increase my longevity, health span, lifespan, whatever? Like you actually need to be very specific. And that's not always an easy process to do because you might not understand what that drug, molecule, supplement, whatever actually does. And you might not be able to assess whether or not that's something that you need, right? Which makes me further reinforce Gary's point, which is you should be doing the foundations really, really, really well, first and foremost. Like, don't be looking at a different drug, molecule, supplement, whatever, if you're not doing those foundations, right? They're, they are the start. That is the, the start process. Now, there are, of course, certain uh, caveats to that. Like, if your doctor's like, look, you need to be on statins right now because you're going to die uh, very soon. Probably, yeah, take the drugs, right? But on top of that, try to do the fundamental, the foundational things as well, right? Like it doesn't have to be an either or discussion, but the vast majority of people would do incredibly well by just focusing on the foundations. That's probably going to get you 
95 plus percent of the benefits that you're looking for with any of these supplements. Of course, there are specific supplements or drugs, molecules, whatever, that might be able to target a specific pathway or process or whatever that is actually going to contribute to your health, is actually going to contribute to your longevity. And yes, then we can start thinking about that stuff. But it has to be against the backdrop of having the foundations really, really well squared away. And that's your exercise habits, your dietary habits, your sleep habits, your stress management habits, and then all those other like more like, again, we'll call them like biopsychosocial things where it's like your community, your spiritual health, your environment, et cetera. All the stuff that is important, but isn't necessarily the stuff that we focus on in in our company or our business, you know? And with that said, aging is ultimately what we're talking about here. And there's actually an important point here that aging comes with its own normal expected degradation of biological processes. So you simply can't expect to look, feel, perform the same way at 85 as you will at 25. However, the course of aging can be changed quite a bit. Okay. Like I think sometimes people get very nihilistic about this. They say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm 65. I have high blood pressure but sure, that's just aging, you know, or I've got all this plaque in my arteries, you know, it's aging. That's what happens. And so, some of it, we, we just kind of accept when it actually could be intervened on and improved. Like you could be better controlling your blood pressure. You could be better controlling your blood lipids. You could be doing many different things to slow down this process. So all of the... Just on that, like ultimately you want to die with these things, you know, they're like, they're just happening in the background. Like, yeah, you're going to have arterial plaque. You're going to have, you know, X, Y, Z damage to whatever organs or maybe even cancer in the body, whatever. But you don't want to die because of these things. You know, you want to die with them in the body. Yeah. Look, you can't really prevent this stuff from happening, but you can certainly reduce it. You can certainly stave off those negative processes. Absolutely. So there's a normal course of aging that one has to accept, but then there are also many ways that we can influence it and make it less severe, less aggressive, less progressive. Okay. So with that said, there are some hallmarks of aging in terms of the biology of aging, and we needn't go into these, but generally you can extract a theme here that that is important. So there's genomic instability, telomere attrition, epigenetic alterations, loss of proteostasis, deregulated nutrient sensing, mitochondrial dysfunction, cellular senescence, stem cell exhaustion, and altered intercellular communication. Now, you don't need to understand all of those things, but what you do need to understand is that almost all of these relate to the normal regulation of cell proliferation and the cell cycle. Almost all of these has have some relationship to that, okay? So for example, um, epigenetic alterations um, involve alterations in the way that our genes are expressed. The genomic instability involves, you know, damage to our genes that are done over time and then that's propagated through uh, cell proliferation. We've got the loss of proteostasis where we're not getting the normal um, break breakdown and synthesis of protein clearing out of damaged proteins and we're getting the, the buildup of debris as a result. We're not, we don't have effective uh, mitochondrial function providing the energy that we need. We've, we don't have the stem cells to create new cells appropriately. So all these things relate at a very 
very fundamental level to how the cell functions, how the cell proliferates, and then that then moves up the chain from from the the DNA, the genetics, and the epigenetics to the cell cycle to the energy uh, sensing and the energy production to the mitochondria for those cells and for that cell cycle up to the level of the tissue and then up to the level of the individual. Okay, so it all starts at that cellular level, but sometimes that can lead us also to get a bit too myopic, focusing on really specific cellular pathways, not realizing that these cellular changes exist in every organ of the body and are impacted by all of the normal health practices that we always discuss. Yeah, and it's really important to understand that look, there's going to be people trying to sell you different things where they go, oh, look at this exact pathway or process in the body. We want to target that because this thing is responsible for X. You know, oh, it's going to actually make you feel younger or it's going to this process. We want to inhibit it because this leads to X, Y, Z, whatever, right? And that stuff, it seems really, really scientific. It's, it's actually why I got like I went back to university to study science because I was like, oh, this is this is fucking cool. Like, you can actually hack the system. But when you actually dig deeper into it, you realize that it's kind of like everything is so well regulated in the body. When we're talking about a singular pathway, like a specific like, oh, we're talking about mTOR signaling, right? You might think, oh, well, that's really important. Like classically like muscle building, right? We're like, oh, we want to stimulate mTOR, right? You want to stimulate mTOR because that's going to lead to growth, anabolism. That's going to, you know, build your muscles, right? But it's also part of the process that leads to cancer, right? So all of this stuff is so interconnected that when someone says to you, oh, we're going to target this specific pathway, we're going to try to target, you know, uh, I don't know, telomerase we're going to start you know make sure your your telomeres stay longer those are the kind of like aglets at the end of your shoelace they have those kind of same things on the end the caps on your dna right we're like oh we want to keep them longer for longer right um and they're like oh we're going to do xyz take these supplements do these different habits and that's going to lead to this and like yeah that might influence that pathway and you might have this really really phenomenal mechanistic rationale mechanistic reasoning you've looked at these different pathways and you've gone yeah this is what we can do and that's fantastic i love that stuff i actually really enjoy it i think it's really important really interesting but very often it doesn't translate into the real world because there's all these off-target effects for example fasting you might go again oh we want to prevent cancer because you know we don't want cancer Oh, mTOR, I hear mTOR is involved in that. It's involved in this growth, unrestricted, unregulated growth. Okay, so we want to just inhibit mTOR, right? But that could be something that prevents cancer or you know reduces your likelihood, your risk, et cetera, of getting cancer. But it also might actually just reduce your health span because now you're not doing anything to ensure that your muscles are functioning. So yeah, you you don't get cancer, but you struggle to walk up the stairs. You struggle to get out of bed because you've been doing stuff like extreme fasting, water only fasts. You haven't had like sufficient protein in the last 20 years. You know, like all these things, they don't come without risk. They don't come as if, oh, because it's beneficial for longevity or lifespan or health span or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always positive. There are off-target effects. And that's important to understand when we're talking about supplements. There's off-target effects with exercise, the dietary patterns you have, sleep, stress. But at least we know them a little bit better. And they seem to be overwhelmingly uh, positive in terms of you do the foundational habits. The off-target effects seem to be beneficial, right? Um, 
But when you're talking about, oh, a specific drug that hasn't been tested in humans or hasn't undergone like rigorous testing in humans, you're like, oh, it has one study to support its its use, its efficacy, whatever. Like, I wouldn't be comfortable going like, oh, that's what I'm going to lay my hat on. And I'm relatively, you know, risk accepting. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Riskier behaviors. I'm, I'm actually okay with that personally, you know. Um, but in terms of trying these random drugs or nutrients or whatever, and we just don't have data. Probably wouldn't be for me. Absolutely. And that takes us on to some of the really important things to consider when it comes to longevity. Because ultimately, the goal of longevity is to not die, okay? <laughs> or don't die sooner. That's fundamentally what's most important. So to live long, you have to not die. And in particular, you have to not die for a long time. And ideally, you want that time, the, the end of your life where you're getting closer to death to be of a higher quality. And the way that we can ensure that is by not getting the big diseases that harm people's quality and quantity of life. That includes heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's slash dementia slash neurodegenerative disease, lung disease, and kidney disease. If we can not get those, we're home and dry in terms of all we can really do to try to, you know, extend our lifespan and extend our quality of life. You know, of course, there are other facets of disease, but they're really the big ones that take a toll on people's longevity. Okay. And just even just on that, we have actually done quite a few episodes. I think it's like two or three on all the major killers of humans, like what, what you're likely to die of or die from. Um, uh, so I would go back and listen to those podcast episodes. I think it's, I was going to try to guess the the number, but they were a while ago. They were last year anyway. Um, but we do have quite a few podcasts on, you know, major causes of death. So it helps inform this conversation that we're having if you do go back and listen to those. But I know no one ever wants to go back and listen to, uh, you know, four hours or five hours of podcasts. And And the thing is, like with these cluster of diseases, it's actually a relatively simple cluster of health behaviors, simple in the sense that they're easy to describe, difficult to enact. Really simple cluster that actually culminate in you not getting any of these diseases, at least not getting them for a fault or secondary to a big increase in risk from your lifestyle. Okay, Some of you will just get cancer. Some of you will just get heart disease. Some of you will just get Alzheimer's. And you may have led the best quality life. But unfortunately, that's just what happens. You can't get risk down to zero, but you can certainly minimize it. And if you look at a few of those, let's say heart disease, what do we want to do to minimize our risk? Okay, we want to eat a high quality, um, calorie appropriate diet throughout our lifespan. Okay, we're not going to focus on all the details of that for now, because it's not important. But we want to make sure our nutrition is good. We want to make sure that we're exercising regularly, a lot and pursuing good outcomes from that exercise. We want to make sure that our life isn't overwhelmingly stressful. You know, that might include things like being financially in a good place. It might include, you know, choosing the right partner to spend your life with, you know, and then we've got the things like if you have high cholesterol, make sure you're controlling that through diet, through medication, keep your blood pressure in check. Don't smoke. Don't drink excessive alcohol. If you've done that much, you're, you're, you're winning. You know, you've done a lot already. Cancer, very similar things. We want to exercise. We want to have a high quality diet. We want to know, are there any cancers that run in our family? So for example, if you have a very significant history of bowel or breast cancer or something like that, 
maybe you want to be a bit more aggressive with your screening. You might need to be screened earlier because you're of a higher risk. Maybe you carry a higher risk gene or something like that. Information in and of itself can be considered a health a health behavior. So knowledge is important. You know, as we said, uh, don't smoke. You know, maybe there are occupational exposures in your job that you need to be aware of that exist in certain industries. Depending on where you're living, there might be um, environmental exposures that are increasing your risk of cancer. Um, so all of these things, again, cluster together to culminate in your overall risk. Similar things for Alzheimer's and dementia. Okay, if you've got, um, uh, if you're not exercising, you've got a really poor diet, you've got poor metabolic health, you're obese, etc. All these things are increasing your risk of these diseases and so on and so forth down the list for lung disease, kidney disease. If we just did had good nutrition um, and had an appropriate body weight as a, as a result of that, exercise regularly, not smoking, not drinking excessive alcohol, you know, staying up to date with um, any vaccinations or screening that are recommended recommended for your population, keeping your blood pressure and lipids in check. If you're doing that much, you're, you've actually done probably 95 to 99% of what you could potentially do to improve your lifespan and health span. And none of that is out there in terms of requiring lots of knowledge. It's simply about engaging with the process long-term. That can be really difficult to do, but they're the things that really matter. Yeah, like if you were to get all of these different disease processes or things that potentially might kill you, right? And you were to just create like a circle, right? And you're like, all right, I'm going to write down everything in that circle that potentially can be done to mitigate, reduce the likelihood, prevent whatever, that disease, right? And then you were to do that for all of the diseases and then put them all together. And the areas that overlap are all the things that you can do in common that target everything. The things that are going to fall in that like Venn diagram overlap area, right? Now, maybe circles, if you fucking hundreds of circles, it's just going to become this giant circle. But anyway, um, you get what I mean? Like the overlap area, eat a calorie appropriate diet, get your diet in check in terms of your calories, your macronutrients, your food quality, all of that stuff. We've talked about it a million and one times. We don't need to go into the exact specifics, but get your diet in check. Again, there's an article on the website. If you really want to get started with that stuff, get your exercise in check. Again, at least follow the like guidelines for exercise, right? There will be an article on the website about exercise relatively soon, right? Um, sleep, make sure your sleep is good. Try to get seven to nine hours of sleep regularly, right? Um, make sure your stress management protocols, your processes for dealing with stress, make sure they're good. You do all those, you're ticking the box with preventing the vast majority of diseases, right? And I know this podcast is about, oh, I want you to tell me the supplements. Give me the super secret supplements for X, Y, Z. But realistically, you tick those boxes that, you know, this is kind of shotgun approach. Good diet, good training, good sleep, good stress management. And you've covered the vast majority of your bases. And yeah, you can start thinking about maybe some of these esoteric, esoteric supplements that people recommend or drugs or nutrients or whatever. But it has to be on the backdrop of those foundations in place. I cannot emphasize that enough. Yeah. And I mean, we do this all the time in terms of re-emphasizing this because it actually is just so important because I can tell you there are people out there that have put all of this time into researching all of these supplements that they could potentially take. They're spending so much money on supplements, but they haven't gone to their GP for their cervical cancer screening at age 25. 
or they haven't gone for their bowel screening or they haven't gone for their breast check. You know, they're not doing the absolute basics because the kind of conventional medical stuff like, oh, just cancer screening. That's boring. You know, that's the that's the boring stuff. You know, I, I want the the supplements that are hacking my metabolism and my nutritional biochemistry. That stuff seems like it's where the, the winds are going to be, but it's really not. Okay. So anyway, with that said, that brings us on to discussing some supplements that you'll see in this area and that may potentially be of benefit. So firstly, just before we get into this, Gary, just, I want to say this, the way we're going to discuss this is we're going to talk about the general theme that these supplements are going to try to target, or we'll say the general kind of vector by which these various supplements are working. We're not going to cover all of the vectors. That's just, that's an impossible task. You know, we could sit down and, you know, map this stuff out for 200 hours and still only scratch the surface, right? We're going to talk about some of the supplements that you're more likely to see some of the, you know, more regularly recommended ones or, you know, whatever, right? We're not going to cover absolutely every single supplement, right? Whenever we talk about supplements, and I've said it a few times throughout this series, the supplement series, we always recommend examine.com. You might hear us talk about a supplement on, you know, oh, we're talking about this specific thing. This supplement feeds into that pathway or whatever. Don't just take our word for it. Don't just take our advice. Don't just go, oh, well, that's actually really interesting. I'm just going to go ahead and order a load of that. Go on to examine.com, type that in, look it up, see if it is actually supported or supported enough for you to make the leap to, you know, actually consume, buy that supplement or whatever. Um, because very often, and this is unfortunately what we'll probably repeat a good few times when we're discussing these supplements, very often you look at the research for this stuff and it's in cells or it's in rodents or it's in some other animal and there's just no human data, you know, or very little human data or the data we have for humans is just so meh that, you know, like you might get a benefit. You might have to take this for the next 50, 60 years to maybe, hopefully, maybe somewhat get a benefit. So it, it really depends on what you're trying to achieve because, you know, if you have a lot of cash to spare and you're like, yeah, I don't mind taking 40 different supplements every single day in the hope that maybe it gives me, you know, an extra two years on earth, I'll do it, you know, whereas someone else might be like, man, I could definitely use that money way better to actually enjoy the life that I have and not get those extra two years, you know? So again, it's not like when you look at this stuff, it has zero risk. And even if the risk is only a financial one, that could be something that is really important for you, especially if your income isn't exactly where you want it to be, or rather your expenses are not where you want them to be as well. Absolutely. And with that said, the first kind of general area of supplementation is just those supplements that are targeted at general health. We discussed this a couple of weeks ago in one of our previous episodes. So I would recommend going back to listen to that. If you're looking for kind of general health supplementation advice, this would include things like you know, supplementing with vitamin D if appropriate, supplementing with any um, nutrients that you might be deficient in or insufficient in, for example, might also include omega-3 um, supplementation, creatine supplementation, all of those supplements that we would generally recommend for people uh, if they're trying to improve their health. So that podcast fleshes out that in a little bit more detail. And I think uh, the best thing to do is listen to that in full if you're, you know, you haven't caught up and you want to listen to that. Is that fair enough? 
100%. And again, just to reiterate the same thing, that's the next place you go. You've got all the foundations. You've got them ticked off. You're like, oh, I'm doing everything really well. I want to start getting some supplements for longevity or whatever. You just look at the general health supplements. You're just looking at the stuff that's going to give you generally better health. You know, that's the next step. It's not jumping straight to whatever random drug you saw some YouTuber talking about that might give you, you know, 0.0001% increase in your lifespan. You know, like take off or grab the low hanging fruit before you start going into the fucking esoteric. Absolutely. And then we've got our supplements that generally improve health span. And this is actually a really important area because um, we might be thinking about things like whey protein here for example, which would be considered a, a food really in our view, but supplementing with something like protein can aid in muscle gain and muscle maintenance long-term, particularly in older age when it can be more difficult for people to get in enough protein and protein requirements may be up a bit. So this is actually something that can improve your health span because you're talking about you know better um, muscle mass long-term, lower risk of frailty, lower risk of sarcopenia, and better function as a result. So that's all really important. Actually, just on that, this is a really important thing as well, where you'll very often see people in the longevity health space uh, talk about stuff like, oh, you want to reduce your protein intake, right? And we'll talk about this later on in a second when we're talking about uh, reducing growth signaling. But you have to be very clear on what you're actually supplementing to achieve. And this is, I know I said it earlier on, but I just want to reiterate it because you might say, okay, well, I need to, me personally, I need to improve my health span. That's what I really need to target, right? Everyone in my family, they live to 95, 100, you know, really long living, but that last 10, 15 years of their life, very frail. They need help getting around. The, the quality of life is just not fa- like, it's not great, right? Um, so you might be going, well, how am I going to increase my health span? Well, I'm going to try to do that by increasing my muscle mass, ensuring that, you know, I have good strength, I have good function, et cetera, right? You might supplement then using something like protein, but then you might hear someone in the longevity space saying, oh no, you need to limit your protein intake because protein stimulates mTOR. And if we get excessive stimulation of mTOR, we're going to increase our cancer risk. We're going to do X, Y, Z. So you need to eat a low protein diet, right? And that can be very confusing because- People are optimizing for different things. Someone might be going, well, cancer is the biggest thing for me. I think my cancer risk is the thing that's going to take me. So maybe having a lower protein, lower mTOR stimulation, more lower anabolic signaling, that's the thing that I really need to do, right? Whereas for you, you might be like, actually looking through my family, my family history here, I actually can't find a single person that died of cancer, you know? Like Uncle John here, he smoked fucking 50 a day and, you know, he didn't even get cancer. This guy is fucking, he worked on like, nuclear submarine didn't get cancer <laughs> you know it's like all these different things you might be like okay well that's a very low risk now it's not a zero risk but you might be going that's not something that is as big a concern but the fact that you know you see people around you in your family whatever and their quality of life is quite low as they age right you might be like that's something that i need to focus on a lot more as a result right so it can be quite confusing when you really get into this realm because People are optimizing for different things and you just have to be aware of that. Absolutely. So there are other supplements in that category as well, which, you know, would include things that might improve your exercise performance. So they'd be some of the supplements that maybe be things like creatine, like we mentioned previously, you might consider things like caffeine or pre-workout supplementation. Now these things, by improving your exercise performance, these aren't going really going to have an effect on your longevity, but they're in here because 
they're an, they're a part of the process of pursuing exercise. So they might be part of that. Now, um, are they likely to actually improve your your health span or lifespan meaningfully? No. Okay. You know, I'm not promoting pre-workout as a longevity supplement, but it's it certainly could be part of the process of you exercising. Okay. Um, and then HRT, hormone replacement therapy, is something that could be considered in here as well. So for example, if you're a male, um, you're 45 years old, you've got low testosterone and your energy levels are in the tank, you're feeling crap, your mood is low, you're not as strong as you once were, taking something like testosterone replacement therapy probably won't improve your lifespan, but it's likely to improve your health span in the sense that you're probably going to feel like your energy levels are better. You're probably going to feel like a bit more vitality. You're going to get better results from your training, et cetera. So your quality of life might be a bit better, better as a result. There's not exactly fantastic evidence, you know, on the use of TRT long-term stratifying into different populations, et cetera. But it is just one of those things that should be in here because it is something that could be of relevance. Um, and that it's also obviously very important for females. So um, women in the postmenopausal period, um, HRT can also be something that can significantly enhance lifespan uh, for many, or health span for a quality of life for many women as well. Yeah, and like this again, this it's it's not a supplement per se. It is medication. And it is something you need to discuss with your doctor. But we're putting it in here because you will very often see in the longevity space people going, "Oh, you need to go like get hormone optimization therapy." That's what they always talk about. It's not like replacement. And the reason they say optimization is because you know very often. They want to get people in the door that are, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, younger individuals. And it's not just people in their later years that are like, oh, yeah, I just I want to make sure that my hormone levels are still in a good place. You know, um, it's one of those things that, again, it comes down to your individual risk tolerance. Like you could take significant amounts of or significant quantities of certain hormones like testosterone and actually reduce your lifespan like it could increase your risk of heart disease for example um or increase your blood pressure to you know levels that aren't conducive to a long life um now again this would be something that you should discuss with your doctor and do it appropriately and under medical supervision um but in in general in appropriate doses something like hormone optimization or home, hormone replacement therapy can really actually help your overall health span can really actually help your overall uh, enjoyment of life, which again is a really big part of this stuff. Yeah. And the same thing would go for, you know, other hormones, you know, if you're chronically hypothyroid or another type of condition that is a deficiency of a given hormone, of course, replacing that is likely to improve uh, quality of life. So um, that brings us on to another. Before we go on, this also brings up another point where people often try to sell you things that it doesn't really make like full sense given the whole picture that we have right for example people will very often say oh you should take growth hormone growth hormone will make your skin you know radiate you'll be you know uh rejuvenated it'll make you look more youthful etc right and that might be the case right growth hormone does a variety of things there's a lot of things with like collagen remodeling etc right but you could also then argue that growth hormone is fueling this anabolic signaling this excess anabolic signaling which could potentially increase your risk of something like cancer right so it isn't, again, I know I said it earlier on, but it is never just a zero risk 
intervention. There's always some sort of trade-offs, right? And you just have to be very specific in what you're trying to target, what you're trying to achieve, why you're bringing certain things in, and then acknowledge that there might be, you know, trade-offs that actually would preclude you from bringing that thing in. Like you might again go, oh, well, I want to get some sort of hormone optimization or hormone replacement. And this doctor that I'm going to is saying, oh, I should take however many IU of growth hormone as well. And you're going, you know what? I actually don't want to take that because potentially there is a greater risk of cancer, for example. Now, again, your risk tolerance, you might be like, that's such an infinitesimally small increased risk. I don't care, you know, but for someone else, it might be like, well, actually, that is something that I need to really investigate a bit further. Check. And that brings us to the next category category of supplements, which relate to um, the antioxidant system or the oxidative theory of aging. Okay, so this is related to the idea that um, the presence of oxidative stress um, and increasing levels of reactive oxygen species and damage associated with those are part of the aging process. And or they actually cause the aging cause the aging process. Okay, so primary cause of the aging process. Now, with that in mind, there's a broad category of supplements that can interfere um, with the antioxidant system or can act as antioxidants. Now, some of the, the ones that we would often come across would be things like curcumin or N-acetylcysteine, okay? Both of these have antioxidant effects and thus could be posited to result in reduced aging via downregulating the oxidative stress. You know, could you make a case for this? Yes. Do we have human evidence to show this? No, okay? So there are obviously... Um, going to be some leaps here that one has to take if you're going to be considering these types of supplements because we you're simply not going to have trials over the course of like the last 40 years of someone's life to see who lives longest, you know. Um, yeah, or if they're doing those trials now, which they are doing on some supplements and different things, yeah. it might then be too late. When you get the results, you might be like, well, actually, now I'm fucking 80, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, you know, overall, I think, you know, these these supplements in some cases can have uh, some uses, you know, I mean, when someone, if someone is at, drinks a lot of alcohol, you can make the case that maybe taking N-acetylcysteine every now and then might actually be useful to replenish your glutathione. And that could potentially be a good thing. Okay. There might be other disease states where that can potentially be useful as well. Paracetamol toxicity. But so these, sub, the, the reason I bring those examples up is because these supplements aren't without use. It's just that at the moment we're relying on kind of mechanistic speculation without real evidence to show that there's any real effect. Yeah. And we also have to, again, take into account that there may be negatives. Yes. For example, you could be taking high dose antioxidants because you're like, you know what? I'm, I really want to, I think I really buy into this like oxidative theory of aging. I think if we could just like really reduce oxidation or this whole like redox process, I think if we could really get a handle on that by providing, you know, various nutrients or supplements or even drugs in some cases to really get a handle on the excess oxidation that's apparently occurring you know we're going to increase our lifespan we're going to increase our health span but conversely if you were to take these things a lot of these things at least after exercise for example you might now get a reduced response to exercise and we know exercise is one of those fundamental things that the foundational things that we need to be doing and getting the results from that to actually 
have a long, productive, healthy life, right? Now, again, how much of a reduction in the results you're going to get if you take like, I don't know, something like vitamin C post-training, is it going to just completely obliterate your ability to build muscle? You know, probably not, right? But again, all I'm saying is there are trade-offs that we have to be aware of. And there's very, very few like biological free lunches in the world. You know, like you take curcumin, it's going to have XYZ side effects, you know, um, and they may not be what you want. So we just have to be aware of that. Overall, I don't really buy into the uh, oxidative theory of aging. Like there's obviously like oxidation plays a role in some disease processes, play, plays a causative role in some disease processes, but that doesn't mean that we always want to just quench any uh, oxidation, you know? I agree. And that brings us to the next category of supplements, which fit into the metabolic or mitochondrial health category. Okay, so effectively what we're doing, trying to do here is improve or preserve our metabolic health um, and also our mitochondrial health. So that might include, you know, increasing the number of mitochondria or reducing the loss of those or preserving the size of those mitochondria, functional mitochondria. And there are many different supplements, again, that could be mentioned here. There are also many medications that could be mentioned here. Metformin is a medication, for example, that some people will use off-label as a means of trying to just pursue longevity. So people without diabetes or PCOS or another indication for metformin, they might use that here for this purpose, potentially. Carnitine and its variations are, is another supplement. We've got ketone supplements. We've got PQQ, CoQ10, and many other supplements along the pathway, all of which could potentially, potentially impact the mitochondria and potentially improve mitochondrial function. But... All of that is far less effective than simply exercising. Okay, so exercise is the most potent, um, you know, uh, intervention for mitochondrial health and for metabolic health generally. You know, and it's just an incredibly potent intervention, and particularly if you're pairing that with a solid, uh, appropriate diet, you're you're going to be in a good place. So I, I can't personally see, um any of these supplements really moving the needle for me as someone who exercises a lot, who's relatively fit may no, maybe metformin because it's, it's a pharmaceutical, it's, it's a total other situation. Um, but for the supplement, also, in this case, it might actually reduce your ability to exercise or the results you get from exercise. So it could actually be a net negative again. Absolutely. Yeah. Not without risk. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people, in the longevity space have kind of realized over time as well with metformin, you know, they started using metformin and then they began to realize that there is this effect of um, lactic acidosis where you basically get an increase in lactate that's disproportional to your normal um, exercise performance when people are track tracking in relation to exercise. So um, it's not necessarily a good, that's not necessarily a good reflection of mitochondrial function as it relates to exercise. So um, I think just, you know, running willy nilly into the, into this stuff and thinking, okay, I have a hypothesis. This is going to improve my lifespan. Those two things are just so massively detached from each other. And there's so many potential off target effects here along the way that might actually be counterproductive. Yeah. And like so often I see in this space, people are like, oh, like you need to take this supplement or XYZ supplement. It's going to improve your metabolic health or increase your mitochondrial efficiency or mitochondria number or whatever. And very, 
very few times do you see these people being people that exercise like very regularly or have optimized their overall you know fitness now i'm not saying you have to be a star athlete but if your vo2 max is in the absolute fucking gutter you know like you struggle to you know not get out of breath walking up like a flight of stairs i probably would be spending more time exercising than hopefully potentially maybe getting some benefits from a random supplement that might play a somewhat of a role in some pathway related to whatever mitochondrial biogenesis or whatever right so that's my two cents you know that's my perspective um someone else might have something else they might be like you know what i actually don't want to exercise i don't want to spend three four five ten hours whatever it is per week exercising and i'm just going to take a supplement a drug a nutrient and hope for the best you know like that's that's their risk tolerance that's their prerogative but you know don't piss in my fucking pocket and tell me it's raining because we know exercise for the vast majority of thing of these things at least seems to be way better absolutely and and i mean we can kind of say the same thing about nutrition here as well because when we're talking about um these different supplements well, a lot of them in the kind of longevity space they're trying to act as either mimetics of exercise or mimetics of caloric restriction okay because caloric restriction is something that has uh, potential benefits to longevity and it activates a lot of these pathways that people want to activate but of course the downside is that you can't just restrict your calories and be in a deficit forever okay so we can be a maintenance but if we're constantly in a deficit like you know the people who are really obsessive about prolonged fasting you're going to lose muscle mass okay and that's not good for your longevity and particularly not good for your health span so a lot that's what a lot of these supplements are aiming at so what we endeavor to do really is to try to get the benefits without the mimetics by starting with you know being aggressive on the exercise front and aggressive on the nutrition front as well and that we're trying to maintain an appropriate level of body fat we're intermittently restricting calories as appropriate um, and then we're getting some of those benefits along the way so that then kind of brings us to an, another category which relates to um brings us to the next two categories very nicely yeah brings us perfectly to the next two categories which are those related to cellular senescence and also kind of growth signaling um, more generally within the cell or between cells. So this is really where we get into kind of the supplements that potentially interact with the, the cell cycle, cell proliferation, cell growth, etc. These are all really important um, areas of interest for good reason, because this is really where we get into things like cancer risk, for example. Cancer effectively is uncontrolled cell growth and cell proliferation, okay? Um, it's far more complex than that, but that's it in a sentence. So the idea here would be that can we, you know, make sure that our cell proliferation remains healthy? It doesn't become disordered. You know, we're not accumulating these um, cells that are damaged and we're not accumulating these cells that are, you know, carrying their damage forward as they uh, proliferate this is ultimately what we're trying to do here and there's a, a family of proteins called the sirtuins Before we get into the specifics of it i think this area is probably the one that actually has a bit more promise in terms of you know supplements to target a specific pathway because you know very often it is a specific pathway that's triggering this cancer growth or i should say it a little bit differently like when we think about cancer prevention in terms of the foundational habits it's kind of a shotgun approach cancer is very look at the draw you know, you could do everything right. And I don't know you just got a specific wavelength of sunlight one day, 
altered a specific, you know, cause it time and dimer in your your DNA and all of a sudden you're like, all right, now I have I have cancer, you know, and my cancer control pathways were just they went up to scratch for dealing with it, you know, completely random, you know, it doesn't even have to be sunny out, right? And you just get cancer as a result. And like, yeah, you would hope your body is healthy enough, et cetera, you're doing everything else to deal with it, but it's kind of the look of the draw, right? Alternatively, you could smoke fucking 20 a day. You could engage in all these high risk, high cancer, uh, you know, increased cancer risk uh, activities, hobbies, et cetera, and not get cancer. So it is the area that is very, very much look of the draw, you know, it, it is what it is. So personally, I think if we could, if we have these specific targeted supplements that seem to do, you know, oh, it helps in this specific thing, I think there is more promise there. However, it still does have to fall back on the like backdrop of good exercise, good diet, good sleep, good stress management, et cetera. You know, like let's just say that gets you 90% of the way, 95% of the way. These supplements or drugs or whatever are still only filling that like small, small percentage, you know, at least from a preventative standpoint, like obviously if chemotherapeutics, et cetera, like they're going to play a bigger role in terms of <laughs> treating cancer or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, like on that note of chem- chemotherapeutics, like this is how like modern cancer therapy works. You know, they're looking at these, you know, signatures of, of cell growth, looking at these promoters of cell growth, um, growth factors, et cetera, and targeting those specifically saying, you know, let's turn off this um, tyrosine kinase, okay, tyrosine kinase inhibitors, for example, um, many other types of uh, cancer treatment that's focused on let's turn off this um, protein or let's increase the activity of this protein to shut down this uncontrolled cell growth. So it's, it's probably far more likely that, you know, if any of these supplements do like end up showing massive promise for uh, cancer prevention, they'll just be taken up by pharma and eventually be pharma grade <laughs> for specific people or something like that. But um, some of these do potentially play into these pathways. So we've got the, the sirtuin proteins, um, CERT1, is the one that people often talk about and what we're trying to do here i mean the supplements that potentially interact here would be things like resveratrol metformin nad and it's you know derivatives or related compounds so nmn nr nicotinamide riboside niacin etc and then quercetin and fisetin as well these different supplements all potentially interact here um as it relates to the the cell cycle and the proliferation um, of those cells um, to, to varying degrees in terms of their, you know, human evidence, you know, for example, resveratrol is one that has had a lot of interest over the years, particularly because it's of its presence in red wine. You know, people saw this epidemiological um, sign that, oh, do people with alcohol actually do better in terms of their health? Or oh, maybe it's because of the resveratrol, but that's that's really very unlikely to be the case um in general all, these... all those kind of things it's always so it's always so weird where people are like oh let's just try to justify this habit that we actually know is you know, yeah pretty pretty negative like resveratrol the highest concentrations in it are actually in like japanese not wheat right and if you go in in ireland specifically because like the brits were in ireland for quite a long time they were over in the victorian era uh, and they were obsessed with like asia and all things whatever that's why we have like sika deer uh in ireland predominantly that's why you have things like fucking budgies and everything in london but anyway um they brought over a load of like japanese knotweed right like it's a fucking weed 
right? We have to treat it. Like it's so hard to actually get rid of it in various places in Ireland. Like you'll very often see like signs up like, oh, do not inter- like do not mess with this stuff because we're trying to eradicate it. And it's a whole fucking big process, right? The fact that people go, oh, actually, I need to get resveratrol in my red wine. Like, I always just think I'm like, could I just start telling people like that Japanese knotweed out there? Definitely that, could. Like, just go ahead and start chewing on that. That's that's going to give you, you know, huge longevity boosting effects. Like, we could do that. Let's know that one down. Exactly. Down to Killarney National Park to pick the knotweed. <laughs> um. Yeah. So anyway, look, these supplements, um, again, lots of interest, you know, especially like these, uh, NAD, NRD supplements, like there's people that have multiple podcasts teasing out these supplements, but then you actually go into the research and you're like, where's the human evidence for the efficacy here? And there just isn't. Okay. And you start going like, oh, well, what's process of digestion? Tell me how it you know, fares with digestion, getting into the cell, all that kind of stuff. You're like, oh, I don't know. I actually only have, you know, cell studies, you know, cell culture studies. I'm like, it's fucking irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. So like you're, it's, it's just, I'm just not enthusiastic about any of these supplements, to be honest, again, o- other than metformin for other reasons, but um, these supplements I've mentioned, yeah, I'm not enthusiastic about them personally. And also, they do, whenever we just, people discuss this kind of stuff, they make it seem very, uh, like they have a very good narrative picture of it. Like they talk about like cellular senescence and they'll use terms like, oh, a senescent cell is like a zombie cell and it goes on and kind of infects the cells around it in this kind of like zombie-like manner. Like, you know, like a zombie would bite someone, you know, traditionally in media or whatever. And all of a sudden it turns into another zombie, etc. Right. So it sounds like, oh, fuck, this is something that I really need to pay attention to. I don't have zombie cells, you know, fucking infecting my other cells in my body. Like, this seems like a big fucking thing that I need to, to look after. But that that can all be correct. And all the science behind that still be correct. But it doesn't mean that the supplements or whatever they're suggesting for that is effective. No. But what you know is effective for ensuring that your body is well functioning, your cells are turning over at an appropriate rate, et cetera. Exercise, good, <laughs> good diet, sleep, stress management. It's like, it's those foundational things, but that doesn't sell. I know we've said it like fucking 20 times on this podcast alone and we repeat it so often, but you just need to get those foundational things right. And you're really, you really are looking after so many things as a result. Yeah, so uh, moving on, I, I, yeah, there's none of those supplements I take I think that's the most important thing is like, I don't take any of these and I'm not going to recommend that you take any of them. Okay. Because there's just not evidence there for them. Similarly, then when we move on to growth signaling and and mTOR reduction or increased AMPK activity, effectively what we're trying to do here is again, replicate um, caloric restriction in some way and metformin again, fits in here as a potential. Um, Another one is rapamycin which is uh, one that has had a lot of interest again over the last kind of decade or so, a decade or two, I think. Um, and again, with with not much human evidence to back it up, there is one big trial, I think, ongoing um, with rapamycin. And I, I kind of looked at its pre-registration on clinicaltrials.gov and it's kind of hilarious. They just have like 
about a hundred, um, you know, registered secondary outcomes. So like you're going to see some sort of effect and then they'll probably just report those. Um, but, you know, recognizing I mentioned previously about the, the skin example, there is, you know, uh, one study where they, you know, treated the skin and then they measured the activity of some proteins that were involved in growth signaling. And then they got people to rate, you know, does the skin, the skin look younger so there are some small kind of pieces of evidence to suggest that, you know, maybe there's something here. But um, again, it's it's not something that I'm all that enthusiastic about, to be honest. Yeah. And like this whole like reducing growth signaling, like, again, it makes sense. You could be like, oh, this is going to really help prevent cancer. This is going to help prevent like cancer prol proliferation, growth, et cetera. Right. But we have to think of the off target effects. Like what does mTOR also do? Again, muscle building right? Like it is the mechanistic, well, it used to be mammalian target of rapamycin, rapamycin. I know you say rapamycin, well, that's not how I say it, uh, rapamycin, right? So when we talk about like muscle building or fat loss or whatever, we're generally talking about two pathways. We're talking about mTOR signaling, which we can think of like anabolic signaling. And then we can think of like the AMPK pathway signaling. And that's generally like a catabolic pathway, right? And it's the exact same things that influence both of those are the exact same things we do to either build our body or reduce our body, right? Um, for example, you might be really activating this AMPK pathway by doing things like reducing your calories, eating a calorie deficit, doing things like prolonged exercise, especially like cardiovascular exercise, right? Again, for increasing your mTOR, like because you want to build muscle, you'd be doing things like resistance training, I shouldn't say increasing your mTOR. I should be activating your mTOR is like resistance training, uh, you know, eating enough protein, eating enough calories, you know, having your hormones in a good place, et cetera. Right. So when we're talking about drugs to potentially influence that balance, what are we actually going to, what's actually going to happen? Let's say you take rapamycin, right? Now we've got this like inhibition of mTOR. Well, now we've also inhibited, maybe not fully, but to some degree, you know, muscle building, you know, anabolic growth, whatever, right? Um, let's say we overly activate AMPK. There's other drugs and stuff that, you know, work through this pathway. You know, okay, yeah, you might actually lose some fat, but you also lose some muscle, right? Like people always, it's it's very interesting because you always see in like the more bodybuilding-esque community where they're like, oh, I couldn't like not eat meals for an extended period of time. I'm going to be catabolic or, you know, I have to eat a protein serving after my workout because otherwise I'm going to be catabolic. Oh, I couldn't do like... Uh, aerobic exercise because I'm going to go catabolic. And then you see people in the longevity sphere and they're like, oh, this is exactly what I want. I want extreme catabolism. I want extreme like AMPK activation and no mTOR, you know? And look, when we, when we talk about this stuff, at least from our perspective, we want to maximize health span as well as lifespan. And that means that you want to build muscle. So you're going to need some mTOR signaling, you know? Yeah, you occasionally want to lose fat and you also want to get some like, you know, aerobic fitness, you know, general cardiovascular fitness, which means you're going to need to activate that AMPK pathway as well very often, right? So, well, even with resistance training, you do activate that AMPK pathway, but that's another aside. So what I'm trying to ultimately say is you need to be doing the foundational things first and foremost, exercising, <laughs> you know, having a calorie appropriate diet over time. That's the stuff that's actually beneficial, you know? Now, is there a potential benefit from the occasional use of something like rapamycin? Like, I don't know, maybe once a week, a couple of times per quarter, per year? Maybe, I don't know. 
Um, is it something that I personally do? No. Is it something that I personally think people should be really like invested in? No. Uh, but again, that's my risk tolerance. That's my reward tolerance, I suppose. Um, and I know you're kind of on a similar boat. Yeah. Um, I personally think that the total obsession with trying to maximize lifespan is merely trying to fill a God-shaped hole. That it's the result of some sort of spiritual deficit that we're this obsessed with not dying. Um, now, obviously, I, I kind of say that a little bit facetiously because I think that pursuing health span and lifespan actually is something that is really important and really desirable. Um, and I think that within the confines of your general health habits, if there are supplements that actually have solid effects, fantastic. Basic medical management, all this stuff, huge wins to be had here. But I think yeah, that- Obviously, you know, just on top of that, there's going to be individuals that can't or just don't have the capacity or whatever to you know exercise regularly, eat a good diet, sleep enough, manage their stress, whatever. So if we can go, okay, look, this is the ideal. This is the be most beneficial approach. Do these things. Oh, wait, you can't do X, Y, or Z here's a drug that we can use to leverage this pathway that you would have got from whatever exercise or whatever it is. Yeah. Like I think the idea of like exercise in a pill, exercise, mimetic drugs and stuff, they're interesting in the sense that like, you know, if someone has a spinal cord injury and they can't move, can you still facilitate some of the benefits of exercise? Like that would be really interesting. It'd be fascinating. Um, the, you know, the problem with that obviously is that up to now you could think of, you know, testosterone let's say testosterone can build muscle without someone training okay which is um the really great thing about taking steroids um, obviously you still need a, some sort of um stimulus ideally but you know it is something that you could consider there like why would people that are in hospital bed for a long period of time couldn't you just give them a load of gear but the problem is like this that ramps up all the things that we said you don't want to have overactive here in this uh, episode so it increases aging in other senses so the ideal would be that if you could have some sort of pill that ramped up all of the um mTOR signaling that we wanted all the anabolic processes that we wanted then periodically turn only, them off only in specific tissues as well yeah, that only in right some up. tissue tissue selective um activation of of mTOR only the right kind of mTOR and only for the right period of time That'd be fantastic if we had all that, but we just don't. Okay. Um, so it, it's definitely an interesting area and just not something I'm overwhelmingly um enthusiastic. Yeah, rather than doing all this, like, you know, oh, should we give people rapamycin or whatever? I'm like, I want to give old people trend. That yeah, personally, that would be far more fascinating. Everyone over 75 take trend. Man, way better research. But anyway, that's why I don't have a lab, but yeah. And then just a final, note, a final note is just to say that, you know, every time people get into these discussions about supplements, very often people try to get around using medications that work. Okay. So when it comes to heart disease, heart disease is one that taking medication early on in life within the age range that people very often are listeners of our podcast things like lipid lowering medications, getting your cholesterol in check. So that includes drugs like statins, zetamide, if maybe in some cases, PCSK9 inhibitors, but probably not. And you're probably not going to get access to them. Blood pressure medications or blood, blood pressure control. I say medications, but if you can get them in check, these things in check through diet, through exercise, et cetera, fantastic. 
But if you can get your lipids in check, you know, your LDL uh, cholesterol slash ApoB is low, your blood pressure is low, obviously not too low, but it's well controlled. You're doing so much for yourself there in terms of longevity. And I know that there are lots of people in the longevity space that do all of this um, mechanistic hypothesizing about these random supplements, but then they'll justify their high cholesterol. You know, they'll justify their high LDL and their high intake of saturated fat with some speculation when that's far more likely to have an impact on their longevity than any of these potential pathways. So as you get into these niche areas of supplementation and of health discussions, don't forget the basics, the the boring stuff that your GP tells you when you go to the doctor. That stuff is actually important too. Which also actually brings up another thing, like we'll call it like body weight lowering medications, like something like semaglutide or something. Like if you are an individual who just, you just can't get a handle on the diet or you can't get your exercise dialed in and you just need a helping hand to lose weight or whatever, there are medications that help with that. And I know in the health and fitness sphere or whatever, they're like, oh, that's cheating or you're taking the easy road or like you should just, you know, grin and bear it and grit it through it like we all do, you know? Um, but if you're going to, die young because you can't get a handle on your body weight why the fuck wouldn't you take something like semaglutide you know or any of these other uh fucking glutides and whatever you know um like it just makes sense so similarly to heart disease there are medications for you know helping you lose weight and more easily managing your body weight and we know that like cardiometabolic disease is probably what's going to kill the vast majority of people listening to this. Even the ones you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, I exercise regularly and I do X, Y, Z. You know, it's probably still going to be something like heart disease that gets you. Absolutely. You know, I think that like obesity, you know, people go back and forth about the definitions of disease, but obesity can be considered to be a disease. And these are treatments that are approved for that disease. And if it improves the outcomes, then you know, it's it's totally fair to consider something like semaglutide within the same conversation as blood pressure medications, heart disease medications, etc. Okay. And the same thing goes for if people have diabetes, you know, type two diabetes is on that spectrum there of related to cardiometabolic d- disease, obesity, etc. Medication is approved for diabetes. You don't just grin and bear it and hope that your lifestyle can get it in check while you're accumulating all of this damage in your blood vessels. Um, while you hope that your diet will do the trick. Okay. If you can't get, if you have, if you've given weight loss a try for many years and it hasn't been working, sometimes medication can be useful and fundamentally what it's doing. It's not just, you know, cutting body fat off you without you having to do anything. It's not liposuction. It still means you have to be in a caloric deficit. It's just assisting you in getting there. Yeah. And look, ultimately, if all of these individuals which will say they have a catabolic resistance right they just find it hard to be in a catabolic process if they get drugs approved from them the next thing to get approved is drugs for people with anabolic resistance like me and you gary so we'll be like yeah non-responders on the trend i don't i don't respond to exercise i just don't get bigger i don't get stronger you know it's just i have to be on some drugs i have to be on some drugs to help me build muscle yeah, we are the forgotten minority, unfortunately. But we'll I can't there. wait. I can't wait. Again, tissue selective mTOR stimulation. My calves would be the biggest calves on earth. Living my life with these tiny little calves and then having a drug or, you know, 
compendium of drugs where I can just be like, right, these calves, they're going to be like fucking 30 inches. Each. Imagine, there, imagine though that if um, all anabolic steroids actually didn't have health side effects, no effects on fertility or anything, and the only thing was the social stigma. Oh, people think you're cheating. I'd be on all of the drugs. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> of us be sitting here 140 kilos. Like I would literally, yes. my traps would be like just inserted <laughs> underneath my ears. Like it, I would just look like a fucking triangle. But anyway. That's that for this week, I think, guys. Nothing else really to cover. I think that in summary, you know, we we really do hammer home our message. But, you know, exercise, high quality calorie appropriate nutrition, blood pressure and lipid control, avoid smoking, alcohol and illicit drugs, get appropriately vaccinated and follow screening guidelines according to your individual requirements. And if you're doing those things, my God, you're doing so much for yourself in terms of your longevity. Some of these supplements, maybe we'll get more evidence in years to come and we'll be more enthusiastic about them. Again, I don't, we're, we're not coming here from the perspective of, oh, we're so pro-aging supplements or pro-anti, I mean, our anti-aging supplements. Rather, we're just coming at it from the perspective of, look, there's not really much evidence here. We try to be responsible with what we recommend. And unfortunately, there's just not really much here that we can say it's going to add a meaningful uh, impact in terms of your your lifespan. So um, check back in a few years. Maybe that'll change. But for now, I think the basics are really what we need to focus on. 100%. I don't really have anything else to add, Gary. So uh, where can people find us? So uh, as always, guys, we do have coaching spaces available. If you'd like to work with triage coaching team, that's myself, Patty, or another member of the triage coaching team. We have full coaching where you get exercise, nutrition, lifestyle advice, etc. And then we have nutrition only coaching for people who already have their training in order or they have a nutrition only concern. So you can work with our team. We also have a nutrition certification where you can become a qualified nutritionist with triage and then begin coaching others using the knowledge and skills that we teach you along the way. We have plenty of free content that we put out on our YouTube channel, the Triage Method YouTube channel linked below. Same thing goes for the newsletter. You can subscribe below and also follow us on our social media channels. If you enjoy the podcast, we always appreciate when people share it, share it on your Instagram story, share it with a friend. Maybe you know someone who's interested in this topic or even you just enjoy it yourself. Leave a rating and review. We really appreciate that. So that's it for this week. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.